0: Hello, and welcome to episode 94 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer stewart Today's guest is Donald Metter. Donald has survived mergers, promotions, reorgs, and downsizing. He is an author, award-winning speaker, and the host of the podcast, The Corporate Middle, where he answers the most common middle management questions. I talk with Donald about the challenges of being a middle manager, how to approach autonomy so that it builds confidence and not a sense of desertion, how to manage up when your boss isn't giving you the support you need, what to do when you're handed unrealistic expectations, and how to lead your team when you don't believe in the work you're doing. And of course, how to make your boss successful so that you are successful. Before we get to the interview, just a warm welcome to Mara L to the Modern Manager community. I am so glad that you're investing in your professional growth by diving into the episode guides and guest bonuses. I know you're a new manager, so it can be hard to figure this whole management thing out, plus get your individual work done. So that is why I am here to help. And now that you're a member, along with all the others, you can go into the Slack community and ask questions, and we will all share advice and experience so that we can all get better at our jobs. If you're listening and you want to join us, head over to maybekscom slash join to learn about the membership levels and the benefits. Now here's my conversation with Donald.
1: You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rockstar boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart.
0: Welcome, Donald. I am so happy to be talking with you today because you are talking about an audience that has a special place in my heart, which is middle managers.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: So let's just jump right in here. I mean, we've all experienced this if you've worked in a big organization, but in your words and in your research, why is it so darn hard to be a middle manager? (laughs)
1: just one reason. (laughs) I think the the truth is there's so many. But honestly, I think when you dig right down to it is I think most of us aren't really prepared to be a middle manager. We really don't know what we're going to face on a day-to-day level. And even when we do face it, there's really not any help. Your peers aren't going to be that much help. HR certainly isn't going to help you. And so, so much of this is just kind of trying to muddle through and figure it out as you go along.
0: Oh, yes. I feel like that feeling of being in a sea of of chaos and you're kind of like trying to, to swim around and you're looking up and you're like, no one up there can help. And you're looking down and you're like, I'm supposed to be responsible for these people down here. And you're looking sideways and everyone's just like, I got my own stuff to worry about. That really resonates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can remember very clearly when I first became a manager. I was in my twenties and I'd never managed people before, really. And I, I had this thing come up. I didn't know what to do. So I called my boss, my director at the time, and I said, Hey, you know, I've got this decision. Here's the things going on. What what should I do? And she goes, Hmm, that does sound like a challenge. Let me know what you decide and I'll back you up. And that was it. That was the advice. And we kind of hung up and I was just like, Well, that wasn't that helpful. But really what that taught me was You know, they don't want me to come with my problems. They want me to solve it. That's why I'm in the position I was at. They didn't want to do that. They wanted me to figure this stuff out on my own. So it's
0: so interesting because one of the things I often hear from people when I ask about great managers is they say, you know, the person really empowered me to figure things out and they gave me responsibilities that felt too big for me. But it sounds like that doesn't always turn out or always feel so good when (laughs) the person's like, yep, figure it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, and if you look at all the studies, right, every, nobody wants to be micromanaged and everyone wants autonomy. I think the challenge is anytime you're faced with a situation, there's going to be a circumstance where it's the first time you've faced that situation. Maybe it's the first time you've had to give a performance review, or maybe it's the first time you've had to fire someone, or maybe it's the first time you need to make a project decision. So at any point, there's always going to be these firsts that continue to come up, no matter how long you've been a manager. And most of the time, you don't actually know what you need to do. And that's what makes it so difficult when you don't really have some place to go and get that advice and that leadership training and things like that. And so that's what's so challenging in a double-edged sword with the autonomy is you might not actually know what you need to be doing.
0: So... I'm thinking about, you know, what managers can do differently so that they can both empower people and not be the jerk who's like, just, you know, go off and figure it out on your own. Are there things that you've done or that you've seen done that really help people get both that sense of ownership but also feel like they're supported?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes as leaders, I've seen this as well, where, you know, we're almost too quick to give an opinion. I've had some leaders like that where, you know, if someone is asking you something, well, here's what you need to do, right? You try to do that. But the best and most effective leaders I have seen should turn that question around and say, what do you think we should do? Right? Most of the time, just by talking out the problem, I've found that many of the folks that have worked for me may have known a solution, but there's really that confidence factor of what they need to do. And so I think that's really the first thing is you you actually should turn that around a little bit and say, well, what are your feelings? What do you think we should do? Why do you think we should do that? And really just asking those probing questions without actually giving a true direction so many times gives them that ownership of the decision, gives them that autonomy. And, you know, most of the time they they did know the answer, but they're really coming for more reassurance.
0: That makes so much sense. All right. So now let's flip it and imagine that my boss is the one who's telling me to go figure out and go away. Are there things that you can do to help kind of manage up when your boss is the one who's not supporting you?
1: Yeah, you can. And really, it's it's a challenge. It is, a lot of it depends on the personalities involved. But usually a lot of times what I would do, instead of coming to A leader with an open-ended question—that's usually what I found they they dislike the most—is when you walk in like I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do? You usually come in with an opinion and say, you know, I think we need to take this tactic. Do you agree? And then that right there opens it up because a leader is never going to say I. You know, in my experience, they usually don't say I don't know. They usually say yes. They say no, and then they start talking. And so then you can get your leadership actually in the ownership of the issue, especially if it's something complicated, you know, whether it's the end or start a project or, or something like that. And so that way, the leader has some ownership in that decision as well. And it's not just on you. So kind of open it up to say, hey, you know, I need to get your perspective on this. I need to get your advice. A lot of times I've, I've never seen anybody turn away from that. They usually like to give their opinion. Most people do. And so that is a way to get them some ownership and to get them talking and try to understand what their perspective is on the situation.
0: I have found the exact same thing. Everybody always wants to give their advice. Like people just love being seen as important and needed. So even bosses who are really, really busy. When you ask for their advice, they're like happy to help.
1: Absolutely. And, and you should do that all the time. You know, that's a great tactic for managing up. And that includes in your career. You should be asking people for their perspective, especially if they're senior to you, because that gives them ownership, again, not just in the decision, but in you, in your career. And so then when you're successful, they kind of feel they feel good about themselves. They feel like they helped facilitate that. And it makes a big difference.
0: Ah. Oh. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about when you're given a deadline or a goal that's been handed down and you just you know it's unrealistic, it's impossible, or it just doesn't make any sense. What do you do with that?
1: Well, once the crying stops and you've decided that, you know, this is going to fail, the first thing you obviously want to do is to push back and say, This is crazy, this is nuts, we can never do this. That never works. You should know that. That it literally never works. Everyone does it. I've done it. Everyone tries to do that. But the thing is, the decision has already been made. And so there's not going to be a lot of value in continuing to fight it. So the first thing is you better accept the fact that you have an unrealistic expectation and that's going to happen. And the second thing you need to do is over-communicate like crazy. What you have to do is every status update and every project update and everything, there better be basically foreshadowing the fact that, this is not going to work. And it's not heavy handed. It's just the fact that here's the challenges that are happening in the project and, and these type of things. And so, you know, the boss doesn't feel blindsided when you don't actually make it. Right. And so that's the biggest thing is one, you, you just have to accept the fact that this is the reality. You're going to be asked to do this. But two, you better go ahead and make sure you are over, over communicating every chance you get with the current project, current status, and the challenges that are, could potentially cause you to miss that date.
0: I'm thinking about a project I'm working on right now with a client where we are likely going to be missing our goals slash or missing our deadline or revising our goal so that we can meet the deadline, but with a shifted goal and how much communication has only been a few weeks and already how much communication we've had about how realistic this is. And based on our timeline and projections, like it's not going to happen. And it's like such a slow process. To get them to really see that this is unrealistic. Even though, like, the first meeting we had, we told them it was unrealistic. So, you're right. Like, they don't, people don't want to change once something's been set. And I love that idea of over communicating and keeping it front and center. So, it's not a big surprise. And you maybe do potentially have time to shift things around.
1: Absolutely. And it's also important to remember that no matter how much you over communicate, no matter how many times you have told them this will fail in no uncertain terms, they will still be disappointed. Because in their mind, that was the date they have set. That was exactly the target they were hitting. And so they're going to be disappointed no matter what you do. And so you have to also understand that as well, that there's going to be disappointment at the end of this. And there's nothing you could have honestly done to mitigate that. All you can do is actually mitigate the level of disappointment. And so they're not surprised when you've got to push it out a week, two weeks, even a month.
0: Are there things that you do for yourself to make that process easier? I mean, I'm imagining that, you know, to some extent, there's just like acceptance, but then the reality of the moment is still really, really hard. So are there things that you've done that just make it a little less intense for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think, I I think it really goes back to that realization of how life really is. (laughs) I think, I think so much of it is wanting to understand kind of the, the perfect view of the world. And, you know, we feel like, we're really smart and we can reason with people and we can really talk with them. And we think that life is reasonable and logical, but the truth is people are not. People are are honestly kind of terrible at making decisions and they're even more terrible at making deadlines. It may be the worst skill we possibly have in the world. And so you have to understand that people are not reasonable and not logical. And when you actually go into it with that worldview, it, it makes a little bit more sense when you're trying to view people's decisions through logic it's going to fail every single time because it's not logical. There's this huge emotional psychological component. And so if you understand that, okay, they're making this decision because they need it for you know X, Y, Z reason, not for anything real, then it takes a little bit of the pressure off because you know, it, it honestly probably wasn't that logical of a decision.
0: Yeah. Some interesting research about our ability to estimate the Time it takes to complete a task, and if you're estimating it for someone else, you're quite accurate. But if you estimate it for yourself, you're off by like half because we think we're so good and so fast at everything. So I'm imagining that's that it, it does it's not logical, right? Like we should be estimating the exact same amount of time to do a single task, regardless of who's doing it. But we we just come up with these like random numbers in our head, and it seems reasonable.
1: Oh, yeah, we all believe what we're, our mom told us that we're special, and we still believe that.
0: What about when the project or the assignment, you don't feel like you can put your heart into it? Do you ever have that kind of moment where you're being asked to do something and you're like, this is just a waste of resources and I'm going to have to work 80 hours a week to do this?
1: Only about uh, three times a day uh, where we're asked to do something crazy or or make this PowerPoint or, or things like that. I can think about so many instances in my career where I've been asked to do that. I remember, you know, getting phone calls. Hey, you need to make this PowerPoint deck. Hurry, hurry, hurry. It's so important. And so we get it. We send it back. Oh, that's not good enough. You know, we spend two days, you know, multiple phone calls working on this PowerPoint deck. That's so important. The VPs need to see it. We're not going to get funding without it. And it's just crazy. And then you check in it on Wednesday and say, how did how did that PowerPoint deck go over? Did they like it? Did we do well? Oh, we actually never got to it. We got stuck on some other topics. <laughs> it's like, well, I just wasted two days of my time doing something that was terrible. You know, honestly, I think that the bigger challenge not just isn't wasting my time, it's wasting my team's time. That's when it's really tough because here it is, they've told me to do something that I personally don't believe in and don't want to do, but yet I've got to go convince my team that they have to do it. That's the hardest thing I think being a middle manager is is actually trying to lead people into something that you yourself don't even believe in. I think that's where the real leadership challenges come in.
0: So what do you do about that? I'm like just Because that sounds horrible.
1: It, it is absolutely horrible. And it's happened so many times in my career where I don't agree with the decision. It's already made, but yet I've got to walk into a room and tell my team, here's what we're doing. And most of the time, you know, your team is probably more seasoned and smarter than you. So they also know it's stupid. And so the first thing you have to do is everything you have, do not regurgitate the company line. You cannot walk in there and give them a bunch of BS that you, you know, this is actually going to help the synergies of the organization. You know, the same stuff that we hear, you know, day in, day out. You cannot do that. You have to absolutely be candid with your team because if you're not, they're going to lose respect for you and they're not going to trust you. And, and as you know, once you lose that, it's almost impossible to get it back. Almost impossible. So, you have to walk in being realistic with what you're being asked to do and say, Here is the project. Here's what we're being asked to do. I personally think there's some challenges with this, and you outline them. You need to go ahead and have the arguments that your team is going to have ready, and you have to prompt them before they come up. Otherwise, they start getting combative, and that's when everybody starts to disagree. And so, you have to walk in and point out the flaws in the strategy before they're brought up to you. You walk in, you're candid you point out the flaws to the strategy but then at the end you say but these are some potential benefits we're going to get if we do this and i promise you no matter how ridiculous something is no matter how much you don't want to do something there is always one or two potential perceived benefits of any action even if you don't agree with them you may not think they're the right benefits but i promise you there are there's always something and so you've got to end that with say but we're doing it for this reason. And this is why we're going to do it. And if you really come in with that type of framing, saying, acknowledging that there may be some issues, but also pointing out why we're doing this, you're going to disarm the team a little bit, and it's going to make it so much easier to move forward.
0: Well, and it sounds like you're really doing a nice balance between not making man upper management look bad and saying, you know, these guys are nutso and this is they're making us do this thing. So you're you're not shoving it onto them, but you're also not letting them get away with giving you something that you don't feel good about and then trying to BS your way with your team. So it sounds like you're finding that right balance between the two.
1: Absolutely, and that's what you have to do pretty much constantly, right? And and as we've talked about, there's so many times that you're going to be asked to do stuff that you don't agree with or or, you know, like a deadline you may think is going to fail. You may be almost guaranteed that you'll fail, but you have to turn around and motivate your team and commit them to something that they also know is not going to work. And so that's the real challenge.
0: Can you give us an example of kind of an assignment that you were given or a goal that you were given that you didn't totally believe in and then how you articulated the downsides and the potential benefits to your team?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I remember distinctly sitting in a conference room with about 30 executives and the executive that was in charge walked up to the front of the room and said, "Here's our new project. We're going to do this. It's going to cost 10 million dollars and it's going to save us 20% in capacity." Well, you know, I kind of looked around the room and I said, "That that's not true." That it wasn't true. And I'm an engineer. I could not let that stand. And so naturally, I was young and naive. And you know, I raised my hand and I said, that, that's not accurate. And man, the guy just stared me down. And he's like, yes, it is. And so, of course, I got up, went to a whiteboard and mathematically proved that it was false, that it didn't work, that that project was not going to be effective like they thought. I looked around proud at myself. Nobody even nodded. The executive just said, yes, it is. And that was it. And I I sat back down. And so I I was shocked. Does no one agree with me? Did did no one see that this was a terrible idea? And yet we had to do it. We had to do it. And so I had to go walk to my team and say, hey, and they're all engineers. They're all smarter than me. I had to say, hey, here's the project we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And of course, it was met with a lot of quizzical looks. And I told them, I said, here's what the benefit is. Here's the challenges of the site. Here's why I think it won't work. I did exactly what uh, I had talked about previously. I was candid. I told them why I didn't think it would work. But I said, here's the potential benefit. Here's why the company thinks we need to do this. And here is what we can achieve. And now, one of the things I also pointed out was some of the benefits may not specifically be about this project. I said, one of the benefits of working on this is our team is going to get a lot of visibility we're going to have a lot of opportunity to talk with executives. We're going to have an opportunity to work with some different teams. And so that's important to note as well, is sometimes the benefit is not in the project itself or the decision. Sometimes the benefit is in the peripheral. Sometimes the benefit is some of the t- other intangible things that you might get to do. And so I pointed that out as well to give them some you know halfway decent reasons for why we were going down this path.
0: Oh, I love that. And I'm thinking about other kinds of intangible benefits like learning something new or, you know, growing or stretching what, you know, we think we can do as a team. So that like just thinking broadly about the benefits makes a lot of sense.
1: Absolutely. And it's so important to understand that your team doesn't care that much about the company. And, and let me let me preface that. Let me tell you what I mean. They don't care so much about synergies and, you know, all this stuff that the company tells you what you need to tell your team. Like, here's the reason we're doing it. And here's why it's great for the company. Most of the time, the team doesn't care about that all that much. What they care about is how does this affect me as an individual? What is the impact on me personally on my workday? What is the impact on me in my life? And so you have to be able to speak to that and understand that and say, here's what it's going to affect us on the day to day. Here's how it can benefit you. That's what you have to make sure you're speaking to and not just you know, trying to regurgitate what people tell you you think they need to hear.
0: So let's flip it around again and imagine that I'm the boss who's giving some work assignments. How do I make sure that I don't set unrealistic expectations or create these kind of ridiculous projects and goals for my team and then ignore their good advice?
1: (laughs) No matter how much you, you want to be that person, It's not going to happen. You are always going to set something ridiculous and and a timeline that's not realistic. Uh, That's just part of it. But, But part of it is because you're trying to grow people too, right? And that may be what your boss is doing to you is you're trying to push people. You're trying to make them better. You're trying to get the best out of them because that's what you should be doing as a leader is how do I get the best out of each individual person? Now, I will say there are times when you push them a little bit too far, and that's where the challenges is. So you should give your team an opportunity to voice their concerns. You should give them an opportunity to explain why something may be unreasonable, why something may not be doable. Right? You should be able to listen to them. And I think the first, first thing you have to have as a leader is a lot of humility. And you have to understand that your people are smarter than you and they can do their job better than you. And this is tough for people that have been promoted from that job into that position, right? And so that's the first thing you have to walk in the door with humility and say, they may know better than me. And so when you are signing something, when you're thinking about something, you better be able to take that feedback, take that criticism and say, is, is there a grain of truth in this? Do we have some wiggle room? Is there something we can do? And- if the answer is yes, then it's okay to take their counsel and listen to them. But at the same time, if the answer is no, you have to be willing to say, I see what you're getting at. I understand the points that you have, but this is the direction that we're going to move forward with. And you have to be able to cut it off at that point.
0: Do you have any particular advice for people who feel like they're the like one awesome manager surrounded by chaos everywhere? Anything specific, like when you exist in a culture of kind of lack of good management and lack of good leadership that, that you can do it for yourself, for your team, or for your career?
1: Oh, gosh. I can empathize very strongly with this. And this is one of the most difficult situations to be in when you feel like you're just surrounded by chaos like that. But the thing is, you have to do is, and this is a, a life advice as well, right? It is focusing on what you can control. Right, you can't control the culture of your organization, but you do control the microculture, the culture of your own team. And if you continue to focus on making them successful, what can I do to make them successful? You in turn are going to be successful. And so much of being in those cultures is learning to manage up appropriately, and you've got to focus not only on making your team successful, but making your boss successful. Even if you don't like them, even if you personally don't like how they manage, don't how they, like how they lead, whatever it may be, if you spend your time and your days focus on making other people successful around you, you will be lifted up. It's almost You can't even help it. But if that's what you're focused on doing, not only are you going to feel more fulfilled, but you're going to have more opportunities in the future.
0: Such wise words. Can you say two sentences about how to make your boss successful?
1: Understand what they care about. That's one sentence. And that's all you need. You have to understand what your boss cares about and what they're measured on, right? Everyone is trying to impress the person above them. And that includes your boss. Your boss is trying to impress their boss and their boss. And that's how it works. So if you understand what is important to them, then that makes all the difference. I remember very distinctly when uh, a new team was formed, and I got an extra ten people, and so at this time I was managing nineteen direct reports, and it was going to be a mess. And I go to my boss, and I'm talking to him, and I was like, "Man, this this is going to be a lot of work, and there's going to be lots of challenges, and you know, I think we need to focus on you know these projects." And you know, I could tell he wasn't even really listening to me, right? He he didn't really care. But then I said, "Well, what opportunities do you see?" with this new organization. That was the right question, right? Is what opportunities do you see? Then he got excited. His eyes lit up and he said, wow, with a bigger team, we're going to get more visibility. We can take on bigger projects. We're going to have an opportunity to do some great things. There it was. That was what he wanted. He wanted and probably supported this change because he wanted visibility. He wanted to take on some huge projects. He wanted to get noticed. And now that I knew that, I could make sure and act appropriately to make sure he got some of those things that he wanted.
0: That's fantastic. And I feel like it's a good place to transition to my last couple of questions, which are, as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about one of the rockstar managers that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with or for and what made this person so awesome?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I had the pleasure for working for actually a lot of uh, pretty solid managers. And I've learned a little bit from each one of them. But I think one of the better managers I had, uh, he was an older guy, had been there for a long time. And so he didn't care about being promoted. He had tenure almost, if you'll, if you'll say. And so he had no problem calling out BS when he saw it. If he was in a meeting, he thought something was ridiculous, he would call it out. He would just say, that doesn't make sense. Let's figure out a better way to do it. Now, he was political in the way he did it, but he was not afraid to challenge authority, which was good to see. And he encouraged that in us. If we saw something that was crazy, we needed to go ahead and point it out and see if there's a better way. And that was one of the things I really admired about him is he was not going to let something that didn't pass the common sense test pass. I mean, he was going to make sure that made sense. And then the second thing that made him so great was the first day I went to work for him, he called me up and said, why are you here? What are your goals? What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself? What do you want to be? And then he said, okay, let's put together a plan so I can help you do that. And that that blew my mind because I I really, he was about the eighth manager I'd had at this point and no one had really done that and said, here's what we can do to take steps to do that. And so he took a personal interest in me and helping me in my career and that meant so much in supporting me in where I wanted to go and taking the time to actually ask and care about what I wanted.
0: Oh, so powerful. Where can people learn more about you Donald and your book and your work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my book uh, is available on Amazon. It is called Surrounded by Insanity: How to Execute Bad Decisions because I think most people don't realize that as a middle manager, Most of the time, you're actually going to be implementing someone else's ideas. And I don't think a lot of us were prepared for that (laughs) when we started. So that's what I talk about uh, in my book that you can find on Amazon. And you can find out more about me at thecorporatemiddle.com.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Absolutely. Me as well.
0: Donald has offered five copies of his book, Surrounded by Insanity, How to Execute Bad Decisions, to members of the Modern Manager community. Five names will be drawn at random on April 21st. Plus, five names will be drawn on April 14th for last week's guest bonus, a copy of Start at the End by Matt Wallert. To be eligible for both of these awesome book giveaways, go to mamykscom join and become a member. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. And you can find that at mamiekscom slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com.
1: You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at maymeks.com slash podcast. That's m a m i e k s dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox thank you so much for listening until next time